This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank, the International Leaders Summit. I am Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sertorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. You can subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. We thank you for tuning into America's Roundtable. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we are truly honored to welcome two great American patriots and principal leaders, Scott Taylor, a Republican leader from the Commonwealth of Virginia, and Kellyanne Conway, counselor to the President at the White House. America's Roundtable this weekend begins with our special guest, Scott Taylor. We will hear of the inspiring story of how Taylor overcame real challenges during his younger years and the significant odds against him to become a Navy SEAL. Taylor sustained serious injuries on a combat mission during Operation Iraqi Freedom. When he returned home to America, Taylor became successful in real estate and used the GI Bill to receive a degree in international relations from Harvard. After spending time as a legislator in the House of Delegates from 2013 to 2017, he accepted the call to run for the U.S. Congress in 2016 and defeated a 16-year incumbent. He faithfully served in Congress. At the International Leaders Summit, we also cherish the moment when remembering Scott Taylor's visit to Israel and specifically Judea and Samaria, also known as the West Bank, and his important speech delivered at the Jerusalem Leaders Summit affirming America's ties with Israel based on shared values and principles and speaking about the importance of peace through strength. The 2018 election cycle was a close race, which included millions of dollars of outside Democratic spending. Today, Scott is with us after winning the Republican primary in Virginia's 2nd District and is determined to win back this seat from the Democratic representative and to advance principal conservative solutions. At America's Roundtable, we are honored to welcome a great American patriot, Scott Taylor. Welcome, Scott Taylor. Welcome, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you guys, as always, and your listeners. In regard to your days of your early childhood and the impact of America's cherished civil society groups, such as Big Brothers, Big Sisters Program of America, and your path to serving our nation on the battlefield and the public arena of fighting on behalf of America's citizens for conservative ideas, could you share with us briefly your story? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was, I was on, let's put it this way. I was raised by a single mother, four kids in the house. We grew up working poor. When I was 12 years old, I'd already headed down the wrong path and with the wrong people. She, my mother was always working lots of free time I had, and I'd, I was already on probation. And of course she knew she had to do something to, to correct my path. And she signed me up for big brothers and big sisters where I was introduced to my big brother, Andy, who really changed the whole trajectory of my life, taught me everything from having a napkin in my lap at the dinner table to stock options. But most importantly, he instilled confidence and self-worth into me that enabled me to lead that little small town uh, with the ambition to become a United States and the confidence to become a United States Navy. Which are able to do and, and serve this country. Scott, we are experiencing a, a cultural upheaval in America and a crisis of law and order. We also find a lack of principal leaders in the public square from the conservative arena who would speak boldly about the significance of affirming America's values and principles. 
preserving our history and its founding documents, and emphasizing freedom, the rule of law, and opportunity for all. Our mutual friends, former Congressman Dave Bratt and Ambassador Ken Blackwell, former mayor of Cincinnati and state leader in Ohio, who joined us recently on America's Roundtable, they have both echoed similar concerns. Scott, what are some of the steps that you will take when elected to Congress to address these issues and fill the void? Well, let me first say that I'm a, I'm a big supporter of law and order and law enforcement in general. Look, of course, there are bad bad people in every group and organization. And if there, if, if there is a bad police officer, they have to go, right? And there's no question about it. Uh, police unions stop them from being held accountable. And if you have a bad police officer who, like the gentleman who in, in the Floyd case had 17, I think 17 violations, they shouldn't even be a mall cop, right? They, they put the civilians' lives at risk as well as their, as their partners uh, in, that are upholding the, the rule of law. And I think that any, any police officer would want bad apples out. Just like if I was in the Navy SEAL teams and we had someone who was unsafe, they would be gone immediately. But it's important to support law and order because they are part of the very fabric of this society. Everyone wants equality. Everyone wants social justice, but not at the expense of the safety and security of our families. It's why man went from tribes to society so they could, in order to be safe and secure, so that they could flourish and live the, the best life possible. So we have to support law and order. You mentioned history. We have an imperfect history. Everyone is, in, none of us, excuse me, are perfect, period. So some of the same people who are trying to look at history through their lens of today and judge people through the lens of today uh, have no moral high ground because they, too, are imperfect, and they certainly wouldn't want to be judged 100 years from now. The reality is this country is the best experiment in world history, quite frankly, that is imperfect. But in this country, unlike most countries that exist today, and certainly the vast majority of countries and states and city-states throughout history— you can, we can improve. We can improve and change and come together and create a more perfect union. So those types of values and that imperfect history has to be preserved so that we can learn from that, so that we can come together, come together and get better. But, but first and foremost, you have to have security and safety for our families. If you're a single mother like my single mother was, sure you want equality, sure you want social justice, but you want to make sure that you have the ability and your family has the ability to be safe and secure. And the only way to do that is to have good, positive law and order. Absolutely. Well stated, Scott. On the theme of affirming the principal policy, peace through strength, and curtailing the impulse to wage endless wars, and let me just quote for our listeners President Trump and his quote at West Point. I quote, We are ending the era of endless wars. In its place is a renewed, clear-eyed focus on defending America's vital interests. It is not the duty of U.S. troops to solve ancient conflicts in a faraway land that many people have never heard of. We are not the policemen of the world, but let our enemies be on notice. If our people are threatened, we will never hesitate to act. And when we fight, from now on, we will fight only to win. As MacArthur said, in war, there is no substitute for victory, unquote. Scott, what are your thoughts about the efforts to withdraw troops from Afghanistan and Germany and the new positioning to address the emerging China threat with allies including India, Australia, Japan, and the United Kingdom? So 
let me preface this by saying, and from a, from a you know atmospheric view, when you're looking when you're looking at right now in the United States and our position in the world and where we and where the world is, we're in a very transformational time. And this president is a very transformation. He's in an era that is is a transformative era, and I think that you, there is an era that is ending. And the reality is, throughout history, eras end and they change. And this era that we've had since post World War II and, and the global order, if you will, that is coming to an end. And it didn't even start with this president, quite frankly. It's been happening for a couple of decades now. And the reality is, America is not the, the police force of the world. We have provided open sea lanes throughout the world, of course, which has allowed countries like China and other countries to flourish. You mentioned Europe. The reason why those troops are in Germany was, of course, during the Cold War and after World War II, to stop a ground invasion from Russia to coming in and, and taking over Western Europe. Clearly, that is not a big threat right now. That being said, with those troops in Europe, it has, it has stopped Germany from rising again. It stopped Russia from coming to, to, uh, to the West. And it's also allowed for countries in Europe to spend a lot of money on, on social welfare for their own countries and healthcare and things like that without spending as the president said many times, and Barack Obama called them, quote, freeloaders, unquote, because they haven't spent the sufficient money on their own defense. So where this president, of course, is, is, look, America is stretched. We've been in endless wars for a while. My generation has known war and recession. And the, the reality is in Afghanistan, you can't find a, a general, you, quite frankly, you can't find someone who's in a political power right now that can articulate to you why we should stay there for such a long time, what the actual goal is. That's changed over time. The president wants to bring the troops home. I think it's necessary to do so because in this, this era that we're going into, one, we have to make sure that America is strong. And much like when you go on an airplane and they say, put your own oxygen mask on before you put the oxygen mask on the person next to you, we have to be strong before we can help anybody else out. And other countries have to start pulling their weight and helping with open sea lanes and move and, and pushing freedom around the world, of course. But the reality is our country is moving into an era that sees a little bit more realism in international policy. And what that is, is states states remain sovereign around the, the world, but also we have to move and uh, create policy that sees the world as it is, not as we wish it to be. And I think that's where this president is. And, you know, he's leading us into this new era. And there is a great deal of concern about China, uh, the sure. intellectual property theft committed by entities tied to the Chinese Communist Party, uh, China's culpability in the cover-up of COVID-19, then cyber attacks targeting America's businesses and government sites, its saber-rattling, then the China-India border clashes, recent clashes costing the lives of Indian soldiers, Intimidation on the high seas in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, Scott, are we entering a new Cold War, uh, the new threat being China and the Chinese Communist Party? Let me say this before I get into China, because um, I think it's important. What, what I just explained to you with, with the president, I don't think he's an isolationist. I think he, he still wants to maneuver and, and spread American leadership around the world. You mentioned China. They have stolen intellectual property. They've had this, you know, one of the largest wealth transfers, quite frankly, in world history. Part of that from them cheating. They have been aggressive towards their neighbors as they have they've projected outwards. Of course, I've been in, in uh, India. I've been in Indonesia speaking to the Minister of Defense. They're worried about China trying to 
put them under their thumb. I think it is important for America to help our allies there in the Southern Pacific to not allow for them to to be under the thumb of a, of a rising China. We also have to hold China accountable. We also have to make sure that our supply chains come back here. It's very, the fragility of our supply chains have been very much exposed during COVID, whether that is uh, the um, active ingredients and, and the majority of drugs that are made in the world or PPE, emergency medical supplies that are in China. We got to bring those supply chains back here, which is something that I think the president is very supportive of. There's no way that this country should ever be reliant on another country, let alone China, for life-saving drugs. I do think that we should support our allies in India, the largest democracy in the world, to make sure that China's aggression doesn't stand. I think that we can back them up. We have a great relationship with the Indian people, and we should strengthen that relationship. We should strengthen not just on land, but also with their Navy, so that they can help create and keep those sea lanes safe and free in, in the South China Sea and, and elsewhere. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, Scott, you mentioned briefly on uh, bringing supply chains back uh, to the United States. And in that light, what are the significant examples of America's important progress made through the difficult season of COVID-19? So what have we learned and how do we prepare for the fall season? There are some interesting things that have come out of this. Uh, you know, I, I've read this book about the 1918 pandemic, and it, things like these, things like these pandemics, they they change the world and they change the way that we deal with things. And one of a couple of the positive things that have come out of this actually is number one, things like telemedicine and healthcare. Right? It's been that technology's been around for quite some time, but because of the bureaucracy and and the inability to reimburse for that. We, you haven't been able to use telemedicine because you couldn't reimburse. So if you had a chronic injury or something like that, you could just see your doctor via you know, online, of course, so they can check on you and don't necessarily need you to get in your car and make an appointment and drive to the doctor's office. And as you can imagine, you can extrapolate the, the reduction of cost across the whole system, and it's a lot. So technology is being able to move, fat, be fast-tracked through and reimbursed that are better and cheaper for healthcare is one of the positive things. Um, I will say that one of the things that's been exposed, it's positive that it has, in fact, been exposed. It's bad that we are reliant on China with, like, the active ingredients in medicines, where China, what, the, what they did essentially was – for example, they, they flooded the world market in cheap active ingredients for medicines like generic drugs-wise, like Tylenol, all, all those generic drugs, the active ingredients in them. They flooded the market, put the manufacturers out of business in the United States and Europe, and then, and then they raised the prices once they were out of business. So those types of things we have to get back. And under our um, leadership in the 115th Congress and the tax reform, when we created these opportunity zones around the country, you have these you have these great places that have great tax benefits that states can further incentivize manufacturers to, you know, to use those opportunity zones to bring some of the supply chains back here uh, to America or incentivize companies that you're seeing, for example, like Toyota or BMW, who have factories in the United States, which is called reshoring. They actually are right there closer to the market, but that creates a lot of American jobs, of course. So I will say that there have been there's been a disparity when you talk about COVID and how it's handled with Republican governors and Democrat governors. That's for sure. You see, Republican governors obviously are more reliant on individual freedom and people taking responsibility for themselves and their families. And then you have Democrat governors are essentially tyrants in some respects and, and forcing mandates on people, forcing economic carnage 
on business, small businesses. Meanwhile, I mean, I, example in Virginia would be here. They're just shut, shut down all these small businesses. Meanwhile, you're, you see Home Depot and Lowe's parking lots completely full. And so it was just a very unequal uh, application of enforcement, a lot of hypocrisy. You've essentially had a voter guide around the country. Uh, when you look at New York, when Governor Cuomo sent people back into nursing homes who were COVID po- uh, positive without giving them the required PPE and no touch thermometers and, and, and not getting them to hospitals when they were sick. It, it essentially led to a lot more unnecessary deaths in nursing homes and some of our most vulnerable populations. And you've just seen governors like DeSantis who have taken a much better a- approach of this, protected the most vulnerable, uh, helped shut down things only when it was necessary, when there were surges, um, but also allowed for people to be free and not lose their livelihoods. And so there's definitely some lessons learned out of this thing for sure moving forward. We do understand it a little bit better. So if there is a second wave, we hopefully will be a lot more prepared. But it's still, I'm still very concerned by a lot of these um, Democrat governors and how they're handling this stuff and, and you know, being very oppressive to their people. One of the things, uh, Scott, that we've been noticing here in the United States as we lead up to November 3 is that Governor Mike Huckabee and a team of others have been concerned about those on the center-right, conservatives that have not yet registered to vote. And apparently, according to Governor Huckabee, there's some 25 million that are not registered to vote. What would your message be uh, to leaders across the center-right, the conservative movement, church leaders, about this great uh, missing link that we have with conservatives concerned about what's happening in America, yet not engaged to vote? My message is very simplistic yet profound. This country is run by the majority of the people who show up. Period. Absolutely. So if you are not registered to vote, if you're sitting out elections, not even big elections, but even small elections, you're contributing to the erosion of, of the values that you do support. So you got to get registered. You got to get out there to vote. There has to be active initiatives to register people and get them out to vote in local elections and off year elections, because the, the reality is politics and elections are cyclical. They run on momentum. So if there's a massive momentum shift in an off-year election, that can absolutely contribute to a big presidential election, if you will, and that, and that goes both ways. So again, this country is run by the majority of the people who show up. So we got to get everybody registered and get them, out, get them out to vote. Indeed. And Scott, in regard to our final question here for this segment on America's Roundtable, from your vantage point, your experiences around the world and even within our nation, what is your vision for America's future and the work in forming a more perfect union? Let, let me first say this. If you're around your neighborhood or a hotel or the Home Depot or wherever you are, and you just look around and look at the interaction between people, black, white, brown, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, doesn't really matter. You know, the vast majority of people are Americans. They're good people. They're polite. Um, they're not racist and, you know, attacking people all the time. And, and so you, you just have this, you have media and politicians that sort of use those things to divide us. And that's just not who we are. So we need leaders who are willing to step up and, and talk about the things that are, that are the best of us, quite frankly, and create policies that are the best of us. Looking at community policing is one, for example. When I was in Congress, we passed 
through uh, legislation that was supported by both law enforcement and the Congressional Black Caucus that talked about more community policing, funding those programs to create more community policing because defunding is actually makes you less safe, more funding, which means more training and better and more safety. Uh, and so um, I, I just think we need leaders to step up that are that are more willing to uh, that, that preach getting it bring us bring us together to come up with solutions that 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 help move this country forward and uh, and not the other way around which is what you're seeing today thank you so much scott for joining us on america's roundtable thank you scott had a great time it was always a pleasure with you guys Scott Taylor served as a SEAL sniper in the U.S. Navy and then in the U.S. Congress. He won the Republican primary in Virginia's 2nd District and is determined to win his seat back in November. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. is an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit. I'm Joel Anansami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit.